hello, everybody, and welcome. You're listening to Talk Clean to Me. I'm your host, Joe Karen. And I'm Chloe Holzinger. Today, we're sitting down with Galen. If you could go ahead, introduce yourself um, and what you do. Sure. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited about uh, this conversation. I'm really glad that you guys are covering this space. Um, so my name is Galen Nelson. I'm a senior director at the Mass Clean Energy Center, and uh, we're a uh, public quasi-state entity focused on growing the clean energy industry here in Massachusetts. And for our longtime listeners, you know we've mentioned MassCEC a fair amount of times, particularly in the context of their internship program that they do. That's just one of the, uh, the many ways uh, that MassCEC has been a really instrumental part of growing the clean tech inter- industry uh, in the Northeast. Um, so I think the first question is, uh, what is the MassCEC and, and what is a quasi-government agency? What does that even mean? Well, it's, uh, you know, we have some of the same traits and attributes of a state agency, uh, but we're funded by a small checkoff on electricity bills. So, for example, my, my latest uh, electricity bill from Eversource was $123, and of that monthly bill, uh, $0.25 cents, um, goes to the Renewable Energy Trust, which then comes to us, and we administer that and um, invest in uh, the clean energy industry in a number of ways including supporting deployment of commercially viable clean energy technologies like wind and solar and hydropower. We uh, make strategic investments in uh, Massachusetts-based clean energy companies, and we support technology innovation in both established and emerging markets. So why does MassCEC invest in innovation in the first place? Innovation is really key to economic development and and job growth. So... um, uh, it's what drives uh, business growth. It, it's what keeps um, businesses competitive. Uh, but we also need to innovate because, you know, we have we have very um, aggressive nation-leading uh, climate goals here in the Commonwealth, and certainly we need to continue to make incremental improvements to our technologies uh, in the clean energy space. But we're not going to get there fast enough with incremental improvements. We really need to be supporting those disruptive, revolutionary changes. And uh, of course, that comes with risk. Um, But uh, I think when you look at our investment in in innovation, uh, and I I think you'll find that um, we're making smart, targeted investments. And again, that innovation is part of what is key to us meeting our overall climate goals. So when it really comes down to it, East Coast is better than West Coast. (laughs) And so what is really um, Massachusetts best at within clean tech? Well, that's a great question. I'd (laughs) love to answer that kind of question. Uh, I I think, first of all, I I think there are a number of things. One is, getting back to the ecosystem, I do think we have a very strong um, infrastructure here uh, in uh, in close proximity, right? You've got accelerators, incubators, entrepreneurs, mentors, uh, all all in close proximity to one another. I think that you have a very generous community, particularly among investors and mentors who are willing to spend the time, take the phone call, talk to startup companies, uh, um, act as as formal informal advisors. 
Um, I think that that um, has a huge impact on the health and growth rate um, of, of the startup um, ecosystem. I think that you have uh, a, a very strong policies here in the state of Massachusetts that help create uh, markets for the technologies that are being developed here in the state, whether that's energy efficiency or new renewable energy generation technologies or, or new business models. And it, it's really helpful when you have a, a public sector that's both interested in leading the way and, and creating uh, opportunities for these companies, but also serving as a, an early adopter and first customer in many cases for Massachusetts-based um, uh, technologies. And so I think those are the, some of the ingredients, uh, some of the reasons why uh, the Commonwealth is such a wonderful place um, for clean energy innovation. And, I, you know, I hopefully MassCEC can take some of that credit, too, that, that we've been there now for um, quite a few years providing targeted support to clean energy entrepreneurs, supporting the ecosystem by supporting incubators, accelerators, and business plan competitions in partnership with the private industry. Uh, so hopefully we're a part of that, uh, that healthy ecosystem as well. Is there one particular industry that Massachusetts really stands out as being a leader in? Well, that's a great question. Well, I think if you look purely at deployment, then clearly energy efficiency uh, leads the way with regard to um, the sheer number of jobs that it creates. Uh, but certainly we have strength in a number of other sectors. We're very excited about offshore wind. Massachusetts is leading the way on offshore wind, and particularly the Mass Clean Energy Center has really helped uh, pave the way in that sector by uh, conducting a lot of baseline environmental research, uh, looking at marine mammal life, um, looking at the impacts of offshore wind, um, identifying ways to support the permitting process, reducing development risk. Uh, so we've taken a lot of steps to um, de-risk uh, private investment uh, in uh, offshore wind and prepare Massachusetts companies uh, for the industry as we look ahead to um, the considerable job creation we believe will be linked um, to offshore wind. We're certainly excited about uh, the uh, baker Polito administration's uh, leadership on uh, resilience. And uh, of course that ties into our efforts uh, to support uh, the emerging storage and microgrid uh, sectors. So we're, we're very excited about those uh, spaces as well. I'd like to key in on the a word you used, which is de-risk, de-risking these technologies. Can you explain what you mean and why it's so important? And do you consider that a big part of what MassCEC in particular does? I think you'll find that Massachusetts clean energy innovators and innovators in general are, are tackling some of the really, really tough problems that, that we face, some of our most existential threats, right, as a species. And we need to focus on those. Those are um, kind of multi-generational challenges. They require a long-term view. Uh, and they require investments that, that look beyond election cycles, uh, to be perfectly candid. And we need to um, continue that in investment uh, in innovation. Uh, so de-risking. Uh, we really need to help companies uh, kind of walk through that commercialization valley of death mm -hmm. And uh, when they get to the other side, uh, in many cases with our support, they have that performance data that an investor or a first customer, an unsubsidized first customer, really needs to see. 
Uh, and uh, so I think that's whether it's individual technologies or entire industries like offshore wind. Could private industry ha uh, have done those that work? Perhaps, but over a much slower time frame. We've dramatically de-risked de and accelerated uh, the, uh, the growth of that industry here in the state. And again, you know, time is not on our side. Um, I, I think that um, when you look at the, the extreme weather we're having, uh, I think, you know, there's no doubt that we need to move faster, not slower. Mm -hmm. If you had to choose one industry that you wish Massachusetts did more in, um, in particular, which would it be? That's a great question. I think, I don't know if I'd call out a particular industry, but I will say that I think where we, where we need to make more progress faster is to give our partners in the utility sector the regulatory freedom they need mm -hmm. to innovate. We, our technology, uh, our grid edge technology, a lot of which is being developed here uh, in Massachusetts, that will help enable the prosumer, right? That, that homes and businesses that will be able to interact strategically with the grid, uh, that will reduce the burden on the grid uh, at the distribution level and transmission level, that will make buildings more nimble and more efficient and lower carbon. All of these grid edge technologies uh, need an equally nimble um, electric grid. And the technology is ahead of the regulatory framework here in Massachusetts. And so it's my belief that we need to work closely with our utility partners to give them, again, the, the regulatory latitude they need to experiment with new business models to enable these wonderful grid edge technologies that are being developed here in Massachusetts and around the nation that have so much promise and potential to actually uh, gain some, some real market traction. Can you quickly help me understand what regulatory hurdles exist? Like why, why can't these utilities, what, what are these utilities running up against if they wanted to be more innovative about these grid edge technologies? You know, to be clear, utilities have a very clear mandate to deliver safe and affordable power to Massachusetts residents. And, and uh, to be fair to them, they do quite a good job of doing that. The problem is that right now, um, utilities are compensated by building f to the peak, you know, building for that worst day, that hot, humid day. And uh, as a result, we have a grid that is essentially overbuilt, uh, that uh, where 30% uh, of our generating capacity, for example, is used 10% of the time, where uh, our distribution lines are, again, built for that, that peak day. And uh, we can do better. Um, but, but the utilities can't do this alone. We need to work together with private industry, with regulators, and our utility partners and innovators uh, to create a regulatory framework that will um, create incentives for utilities to uh, build and operate a much more nimble, uh, resilient, and cleaner grid. You mentioned policy early on, and we've talked a touched a little bit on policy just now. What is the role of policy in innovation, and I think you even mentioned policy or uh, government leading the way. Like, what, what do you mean mm -hmm. by that? Well, I would say a number of things. One is simply enabling an organization uh, and creating an organization like um, the Mass Clean Energy Center. I think we really have to give credit to the Massachusetts legislature and to uh, voters who supported the creation of the Mass Clean Energy Center, an entity that, that invests uh, millions on an annual basis 
um, in uh, the most strategic and targeted way possible in both the deployment of, of clean energy technologies, but also really critical um, innovation uh, within the space uh, to drive down deployment costs, to um, uh, increase our ability to meet our, our climate goals, um, and to open up more um, investment opportunities for uh, the private sector. Um, so government can play a role and has in, in creating the Mass Clean Energy Center, but also in acting as a first customer and being an early adopter of, of clean energy technology. So what's next for Massachusetts? We're very excited about storage. Uh, and we invested along with uh, the Department of Energy Resources $20 million in storage demonstration projects. And to be clear, those were to, the goal there was to demonstrate business models, not necessarily uh, storage technologies. And uh, we see a lot of promise there. We really do believe that storage, uh, along with many others, that storage is kind of a a, uh, a potential game changer, a Swiss army knife of sorts that can provide a wide range of services and benefits uh, at scale. We're doing everything we can to de-risk uh, and accelerate adoption of storage and within a couple key targeted ways that are interesting. One is fire safety, right? So in New York uh, City, uh, storage advocates have been somewhat stymied by uh, the fire department of New York, which has... Mm. Um, uh, rightfully so, you know, concerns about um, deploying large lithium-ion batteries uh, in buildings. And so we're trying to get out in front of that and working very closely with the National Fire Protection Association, which happens to be based here in uh, Braintree, uh, Mass., and with the Boston Fire Department to explore development of a uh, fire safety, a storage fire safety test facility on Moon Island, which is one of the Boston Harbor Islands. Uh, we're also beginning to think about how we can help local permitting officials understand uh, storage and what they should be exploring uh, and understanding as they uh, permit uh, large storage systems. So that work will be ongoing and will continue um, into the future. Uh, but we're also beginning to dip our toes into clean transportation. Uh, we know that this is a priority for the Baker Polito administration. Uh, we've certainly supported clean transportation technologies over the last five or six years, uh, but we're taking a more focused, concerted effort to identify uh, the most strategic ways in which we can uh, support acceleration of the industry, whether it's identifying particular technologies or EV charging infrastructure or how uh, EV charging infrastructure interfaces with buildings or with energy storage or renewables, contemplating a number of uh, pilots, demonstrations, and other investments. Uh, and microgrids, you know, we'll continue to support our, our microgrid uh, program. Very timely, right? We've had, we've got nearly 400,000 Massachusetts residents who are without power right now as we speak. Uh, and uh, so we're very interested in uh, identifying business models that will um, help unlock investment, private sector investment in community microgrids uh, that will both help meet um, climate goals, but also provide um, resilient power to critical public and private facilities in, in communities around the state. So those are just a couple areas where we're excited to focus over the next couple of years. 
unlock private investors, um, private investment. Is that one way you think of what you, the work that you do is to get these technologies to a place where private investors are willing to invest in them? Absolutely. So, you know, it's something that we look for even from our earliest stage uh, awards uh, under the Catalyst program. Uh, we are certainly focused on helping companies develop prototypes, but we're already looking at the market and thinking about whether or not the technologies that we're supporting or the combinations of technologies we're supporting will attract private investment. Um, there's no way that we're going to be able to buy our way out of this problem with, with public dollars, nor should we. Uh, and we really see our role in, in making those investments in very early stages or as, again, companies are trying to cross that commercialization valley of death and helping them uh, kind of meet halfway uh, and meet investors, uh, private investors, uh, who can help accelerate uh, those companies so that we can then step back and look at the next uh, promising innovation that's coming down the innovation pipeline. Cool. So you mentioned the valley of death for startups. Um, including that, what do you see as the biggest barrier to success for clean tech startups in particular? Sure. So I think there are a number. Um, I mean, one is that clean uh, energy technology development is really hard, right? I mean, they, our innovators are tackling really, really tough problems. Uh, energy storage, trying to squeeze more efficiency out of a, you know, a motor or a compressor, uh, identifying business models that will unlock uh, investment in hard-to-reach efficiency sectors like, uh, you know, small commercial and industrial buildings. Uh, you know, these are really, really hard challenges, and uh, they require long runways. Uh, so I think that's, that's certainly a, a key barrier, simply that our, our innovators are tackling tough challenges. Investors are not patient. Uh, unfortunately, our, our culture, <laughs> uh, our investment culture is geared toward, um, and frankly, our, our culture in general, is geared toward um, instant feedback and quick turnaround times and very rapid um, ROIs and uh, clean energy innovation uh, just requires more patient capital. And I think fortunately we've seen after a, I think a slow, a slowdown in investment in the sector, I think we're seeing an uptick again, uh, which is really encouraging. Uh, but there's no doubt that uh, we need more angels, more VCs to take a longer view uh, when it comes to um, clean energy uh, investment. And then I think market pull. Um, you know, I, I, everyone pays an energy bill. Uh, clean energy or energy is the one industry that impacts all other, all other industries. And we still have, in many cases, a difficult time um, uh, getting companies and residents to, um, to take the steps that need to be taken to make our buildings more efficient, to make our vehicles more efficient. Uh, and um, so I think market pull and awareness of the opportunities to save money while helping to meet our climate goals, um, I, we need to raise more awareness uh, among consumers. So then on the flip side, what are the ingredients, would you say, to startup success? Are there key um, unifying factors among all the startups that you've seen and worked with uh, that really contribute strongly um, to, to their successes? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I would say I would point to a number of, of different attributes uh, in no particular order. One is just the right team, right? So oftentimes 
will run into um, teams that, uh, where there's someone who's clearly the CTO and clearly the, the technology nerd, um, but that individual um, could not um, kind of write a business plan to save their life. Uh, and ideally, that individual is paired with someone who really has a solid um, approach on the, on the business side. Um, along with that, coachability is really mm. key. So uh, we'll often find teams that are fairly uh, well composed. They've got the right mix of talent and experience, uh, but they're not they're not willing to listen to anyone. They're not they're not prepared or able to take constructive criticism or advice. They're not listen able to listen to mentors who are even substantially their senior, and this is a real problem a really significant factor in whether or not a, a company is going to be successful or not is their their coachability. Um, I think another is that they really have to have passion for the problem. I think it's hard for, um, for, for individuals who are just kind of either looking to, to make money or think that there is an opportunity in a particular space. You certainly want that. But if they really only care about the money and they're not really passionate about the problem and they're not in it for the long haul, uh, that's also kind of a red flag for us, uh, because there are going to be lean times, and they're going to they're going to um, they're going to run into headwinds. And if you don't have that passion, um, they're just going to peter out and pivot to something else and and move to an easier target. And then finally, I think really understanding your customer uh, and and doing that hard uh, customer discovery work, which sometimes is frustrating because you may think that you have a great solution. Uh, but it's a, it's like a solution in search of a problem. We often run into entrepreneurs that um, have a lot of other things going for them, but they've failed to adequately reach out to uh, potential customers to do that hard customer uh, discovery work uh, and make sure that uh, their solution is in fact something that uh, customers in their beachhead market are actually looking for. And those, I would say, are all the things that we actually touched on in a in our first episode of this season two with Alex Pena, the key, um, key quality is for the current management team, whoever that is, is that they should have strong technical experience. Um, so they should actually know how their product works, strong industry experience. So what you said, Galen, knowing their customers, knowing who's gonna use their product and how they're going to use it, mm -hmm. um, and strong startup experience. So running a startup is very different than running any other kind of business. And knowing how to manage a startup um, and work in those close quarters with those five people at first and then scaling it up to 10 people, 20 people, and 50 people, um, that takes different skills at each level. And just simply either coming from an experience where you've worked at each of those stages or have managed at each of those stages really helps. Um, but I think the two bits that you mentioned that we didn't talk about um, in that episode were the coachability, which is absolutely vital. Um, and you see startups all the time listen to advice and then not really listen to the advice. Um, and passion for the problem. Um, and that's been something that we've talked about on literally every episode is why 
are our guests really interested and engaged? And why do they really care about clean tech and sustainability? And I've talked a lot about how I think there are really tangible benefits to having a mission, right? If you have a mission as a company and it's a positive mission, you're going to attract good talent. You're going to be able to weather those headwinds. Um, so many startups, I think, are you know, getting so much good talent at a steal because the people want to be there and they think it's worth being there. And I think that's a big part of the mission. Um, yeah. But then conversely... As a manager, you also have to retain that talent um, and know that people can't live on passion. So, <laughs> you can't eat so, passion. Yeah. <laughs> so you, eventually, like you'll attract them, but in order to keep them, you really do have to pay them. Um, <laughs> right. Just a heads up for those mission-driven startups. <laughs> Trying to warn managers out there to try and not pay their. Well, because you do see on, that on, on quite frequently. Really? Okay. Yeah. People say like, oh, you stay in this at this company because we do all these cool things and you have all of these awesome opportunities and that's accurate. But also like if you could be working for a soulless company and making 20K more than you do. Yeah, it's, that's, a, it's an arithmetic it is, that happens. Yeah, yeah. It, so there, there is a balance there. Mm -hmm. You don't and, necessarily. And that's a, I think that's a mm -hmm. tough challenge too in the Massachusetts economy, right? Because we're we're certainly blessed with this really strong clean energy innovation uh, sector, uh, but there are a number of other industries, right, that are that are have, uh, where there's a lot of innovation going on, and those sectors are also attracting young, talented people uh, graduating from our colleges and universities. Uh, whether it's uh, biotech or other industries or robotics uh, and uh, or coding, um, which increasingly you see kind of um, integrated into clean energy, but um, it, there's absolutely a lot of competition for that talent. So where does your passion for clean tech come from personally? Like what keeps it going and why is this, why is what you do important to you? I am an environmentalist. <laughs> I do uh, care a great deal about uh, the planet and my children and their place on it and their future. Uh, but I also love innovation and technology. Uh, I tend to think of, of innovation in the same way that I think about um, evolution and uh, kind of survival of the fittest and that companies uh, are adapting, they're introducing um, mutations uh, into existing technologies and those mutations that... Um, are the most favorable, are those that will survive. Um, and so I, I strongly believe in kind of market forces and its ability to identify the strongest, most promising, most impactful uh, technologies or combinations of, of technologies. Uh, so in that sense, I'm very excited simply by the subject matter. Uh, and then I would say, finally, I just love entrepreneurs. I love entrepreneurs as a subspecies of human, right? <laughs> As people who are optimistic, who are uh, risk tolerant, who um, are, yes, they have a I can do attitude, um, a, a glass uh, half full uh, attitude that they see a problem and their instinct is more often than not figuring out a way to overcome that challenge rather than shrinking away and disappearing. Uh, and then finally, I would say my my colleagues at the Mass Clean Energy Center, I, I have never been happier working with a group of such smart, strategic, committed, passionate people. And it is just wonderful to walk into that office every day, knowing that everyone there shares my passion and interest in 
supporting entrepreneurs and helping to grow this industry and making a real impact on our, uh, our climate challenges. So, so you're clearly very passionate about what you're working on. You've been working on it for quite a while. Is there something you can point to that you're most proud of that you've achieved in your time doing this kind of work? Oh, that is, that is a really tough one. Um, I don't know if I can point to one. I, I think that, um, I mean, looking at the past year, I am very proud of the energy storage funding opportunity. I know that's a completely dorky thing to say um, from the public sector that I'm really excited about a solicitation that we developed, but it was, uh, <laughs> it's really, really awful. Sorry for that. But, but um, I, it was very challenging and we really wanted to make sure that we were uh, helping to surface the best and most promising, most rep replicable and scalable energy storage business models that would really impact the benefits of storage and demonstrate the many different uh, revenue streams and benefits that storage can provide at all different scales. And I, I think we were, um, we were successful. And in fact, our approach to supporting clean energy, um, I'm sorry, to supporting storage demonstration projects has in fact uh, been replicated by at least one other state. Uh, and I'm, so I'm very excited about um, uh, the increasing leadership roles that women play in clean energy, both in the public and private sector. That's something I feel very strongly about and I'm proud of uh, the team that we have and was really touched uh, several weeks ago when we held a kickoff event and a, uh, a young woman approached us uh, who works for a storage uh, development firm and said that she was struck by the nearly all women team that we had uh, working on storage at the Mass Clean Energy Center. And I was really uh, moved by that uh, and am very proud of it. Uh, and I'm just very excited um, about the prospect of smart strategic women working with star smart strategic men uh, and tackling uh, this great uh, challenge that we have together. So that's something I feel really good about. That's great. Can we give you a, maybe a platform to talk about that a little bit more about why this is important to you, why it's important to the ecosystem? You know, I think that's a great question. I think um, I, I, have, I guess I'd have to point to, um, you know, having a strong uh, mother <laughs> uh, who was, a, a, you know, a feminist and um, having um, some of my, my um, first several uh, bosses in my professional life in my early 20s were all very strong, smart women. Uh, and I think that they left a real impression on me uh, and uh, kind of made me appreciate the, the kind of particular challenges and obstacles that women, particularly women in technology, right, um, have faced in both clean energy and in other industries. So one of the historical problems with better diversity within um, any given industry um, is both attracting diverse talent as well as retaining diverse talent. Do you have any advice for startups or other companies um, who have found that despite their efforts, they don't seem to be doing very well with their diversity metrics? Mm, that's a good question. Um, 
I, I guess I would address that in a couple of ways. One is I think it's just leadership from the top is important. So, you know, for, for quite a few years, um, our organization was led by Alicia Barton, who is very smart, uh, talented woman who's now leading NYSERDA, and I'm sure she's doing a great job and will continue to, to have a real impact uh, there. Uh, and now our organization is led by Steve Pike. And I think both of those individuals um, have sent very strong signals from the top that um, supporting um, diversity um, on our team, uh, whether it's uh, women or people of color, uh, but also in um, the, the companies that we support, whether it's uh, gender balance on our um, uh, judging and evaluation panels, mm. uh, making sure that um, we're sh uh, showing um, startup entrepreneurs, those led by men or led by women, that uh, we are um, elevating uh, women uh, to those positions and making sure that uh, we maintain the balance uh, there. So I, I guess those are those are certainly some things that that I think of. You know, men just need to be um, need to call other men on their stuff when they see it. Efforts to um, uh, to discount uh, to women's uh, perspectives. I think men need to call other men out on that. Thank you so much for joining us today, Galen. We really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. um, Thank you. And so please uh, check out the show notes where you'll find more information on Mass CEC and um, some of the links to their uh, current and ongoing initiatives. Definitely. Um, to support the show, please tell a friend, uh, tweet at us at TalkLeanPodcast, um, email us at contact at TalkLeanPodcast.com, leave us a five-star review, uh, just reach out. We want to talk to you. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Galen. Uh, please give us five stars. And thank you for supporting us on what I hope you guys think is another great season. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Yeah. Um, big season. Yeah. I like this season a lot. Good. Yeah, me too. It went a lot more smoothly this time. It did. We're, we're, we're just we figuring, it out on the, <laughs> figuring it out on the fly for season one. Yeah.